Uh, we're going to finish up the, uh, the Ten Commandments. Uh, well, maybe a little bit. We might get close to finishing them today. Uh, but, but Father Jonathan's going to take it the rest of the way on the 17th. And then uh, Father Kersey on the 24th is going to lead everyone through a walkthrough of the liturgy. Um, so you'll get that pleasure as well. And he'll, he'll uh, show you where things are and what happens and uh, also take you back to the vestment closet. And we'll talk through all that stuff. Um, so a lot of people say this is one of, one of their favorite things in catechesis is that final session. Um, and we, it, surprisingly enough, we end up on target every year. So it seems like, seems like that's happened. So we are on page 120 in the catechism uh, on the Eighth Commandment. What is the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment is you shall not steal. What does it mean not to steal? Because God is creator and Lord of this world, the created order is holy, and all things fundamentally belong to him. Since I am required to love God and my neighbor, I must not take what does not belong to me. I must be true, honest, and just in all my business dealings. Okay, so um, first off, we should say that, uh, that uh, Christians have always, uh, or normally, uh, held very strongly against the idea that the private property is sinful, right? Uh, there's, there's a strain of thought, uh, both in ancient thought, but also uh, in modern thought, and what is that? communism, right? That, that no one should own anything, really. Um, and, and in particular, that, uh, that, uh, that, everyone, that everything that everyone has is, is, has no owner or is owned by the government. And Christians have always, have always said, no, 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 uh, private property is a, is a needful thing. Um, there are things, and I think this is most, most clear, there are things which are properly mine, um, and there are things which are, which are properly yours. Um, and scripture does not say that that idea itself is wrong. Um, and in fact, the whole basis for the Eighth Commandment is that there are things that are mine and there are things that are yours. Um, there are things that belong to me and things that belong to you. But we start all that with saying that God is creator and Lord of this world, the created order, and because of that, the created order is holy. Um, and we're not accustomed to thinking about the whole of the created order as holy, are we? What do we normally think? We tend, because we're good modernists, we tend to think in terms of sacred and profane, right? We think like, oh, all of the, everything in here is holy, but step outside the doors and it's profane. Um, you know, uh, and, and this is often the thing that just drives me crazy is like, you know, people will say, well, you, you're a holy man. I am a, you know, I'm a man of the world. And it's like, no, <laughs> those are false dichotomies. Um, all of creation belongs to God, yes. Um, and because it belongs to him, all of it is holy. Um, now, there can be, of course, degrees of holiness and things that are more set apart than others. Um, but, but I think we, we've got to break out this idea that, that, uh, that the world deals in these dichotomies of, of uh, holy and profane, sacred and secular. Um, and things, and I think this is important, things belong to God, and therefore... Um, our own use of them and our decision about how things should be used matters what? Yeah, well, it matters a lot, but it matters only in relation to God's mastery over all creation, yes? So one of the things that we often get wrong is we say that we human beings decide how things get used and how they get used best. Um, And doing this, we overthrow the lordship of God over all creation. Um, And to get kind of into philosophy a little bit, Christians have, have normally held, and I say, you know, Orthodox Christians have always held, 
that everything in creation has, has a proper end, a proper telos in the Greek. Um, and that this is determined by, and we can see it in creation, we can know what a thing is supposed to do, what it's supposed, how it's supposed to, um, um, how it's supposed to function, and not only how it's supposed to function, but what it's supposed to, uh, what it's supposed to produce. Um, and I can illustrate this rather easily, right? What's what's the purpose of an apple tree? To put forth apples, right? Why? So that we can eat them, right? Um, if you if you poison an apple tree so that it no longer puts forth apples, what you, what can you say of that action? That's wrong, right? We just say that's wrong. Why is it wrong? Because somebody acted on the perfect on the on the perfect end of that apple tree to to uh, obscure it, to destroy it, uh, to make it not do the thing that God created it to do. Um, and this is often very hard for us as modern people because we say, no, but that's my apple tree. I can do with it what I want. <laughs> and, and, and I think the answer is, is a little bit more, uh, more difficult to get to, but it's this. It's that you can see in creation that things have their ends. Um, and so uh, this commandment actually extends not just to stealing, but to, uh, but to using objects in a way that they're not supposed to be used. Um, let's move on. If the earth and all it contains is the Lord's, is it fitting for you to own property or goods? Yes. However, everything I own, I hold as God's steward to cultivate and use for his glory while respecting what he has entrusted to others. We use this word steward intentionally uh, because a steward does not have ownership of, uh, of a master's goods, but has what? Authority over it. Mastery over it. Um, you know, you may have you may have been to a, a really, really, really nice restaurant, and they'll have a sommelier or a wine steward. Have you ever been to a restaurant like that? It's kind of amazing, isn't it? And and you might have noticed that uh, that guy has an incredible amount of authority in the restaurant. Um, he can give away really nice bottles of wine if he wants to. He doesn't have to call up the owner and say, "Can I give away this bottle of wine?" He doesn't have to. He's able to use his discretion to the best of his abilities. To make to manage what is his, in in many cases, and really nice, that's millions of dollars of inventory. Um, stewards are put in charge of something, and in fact, they can use it as they do um, to their even to their own ends, um, so long as they're in line with uh, with the master's ends. Um, you may have gone on a vacation, left your house to the house sitter, um, and what do you often say to the house sitter? Well, you're in charge, right? But yeah, it's your home. Uh, use it, you know. Use it, use it as you want, but but use it and think of me as you use it, right? Um, when I was in college, some friends of mine would, were always house sitting for this family in Dallas, the Browns, and they had this magnificent house in North Dallas with with a pool and an incredible kitchen, and and all they asked was just use it like we would, um, and and that's what stewardship is about. Um, we also speak here of, of not only holding things, which means to have them, but to cultivate and to use for his glory while respecting what he's entrusted to others. Um, we as uh, modern people are not good at cultivating things, are we? We live in a throwaway culture where you buy things and you use them for a while and then you throw them away, right? Um, we love new things, right? Um, <clears throat> You know, you know this. The moment you drive a brand new car off the lot, it loses several thousand dollars in value. Why? 
because the newness of the car itself has value to some people enough that it's expensive to, to buy a new car. Um, and and uh, people are not so good at saying, well, how can we, how can we cultivate this? Uh, um, you know, you think of land. We, we as modern people have become horrible land managers. Um, in fact, our agricultural land in North America and all throughout the world is, is suffering um, from bad management of land. Um, indeed, we were in Rwanda last summer around this time, and one of the things that the teams there are trying to do is they're trying to get farmers who are three generations removed from their very intentional land managing ancestors uh, to start to manage the land better. Um, not planting just one crop, but planting several different things in several spaces, uh, doing things like mulching and uh, using compost and things like that, and they're learning that they become partners with God in creation. Um, and part of the thing that's, that's, that's resulted in this is our vast separation between the sacred and the secular, the holy and the profane, is that we think, oh, well, Jesus died so I can go to the holy place when I die, so I can get away from this nasty land and go to the good place when I die. Um, and we've forgotten that, um, that redemption means being uh, transformed by the likeness of Christ uh, to be a, a partner with him um, in the created order, indeed to exercise mastery in creation. Keep in mind, what is Adam told before the fall? He's told, fill the land and subdue it, right? And even after the fall, what is he, what is he told to do? Well, he's told it's, he's cursed to work it, right? So he's still given this hand in cultivating the land. It's, it's still an important task. Um, he's still given, in a sense, mastery over that question. All right. How did God teach Israel to respect the property of others? God gave land and possessions as a trust from him, which could be bought, sold, and inherited. He required restitution when property was stolen and forbade unjust loans and interest. All right, there's a lot going on here, but I want to break it down. So God gave land and possessions to the people. Is that true from Scripture? Oh, yes. Like, <laughs> you know, read in, read in the, in the, in the uh, story of Abraham, uh, Abraham is standing in the midst of the land, and God says, everything you can see from where you stand uh, is yours. Um, this land is given to him, and it's given to him as an inheritance, meaning that it's not just given to him, it's given to him and his, and his descendants. Um, God gives them possessions, yes? I mean, it's, it's not just, um, part of this is tough because he, you know, tells them in the land of Egypt, you know, go and plunder the Egyptians, <laughs> take all their things, take all their gold, and they do. He gives them possessions. And this is given, and this word is used intentionally, as a trust. Um, we use trust language today, but we use it only legally. And in, in a trust relationship, um, there's, there's, well, let's put it simply, there's the grantor and the trustee. You know what the difference is? The trustee is the one who holds something that doesn't belong to him. Um, so you might, you might be a trustee in an estate. What does that mean? It means you have a stake in the, in the, in the management of, that, uh, of those holdings um, and that you are to manage it as, as, as you would your own, um, but also that um, as the estate increases, what happens? You share in the increase. Um, so a friend of mine uh, 
recently was named a trustee in a very large, many, many million dollar estate in, in California. And, uh, and it was kind of a surprise. The deal was that his dad was friends with this guy who was a millionaire insurance broker. And, and this guy wanted to make sure that his estate would continue on uh, to flourish and function and take care of the people that he loved. And so he put this man, this my friend's father, in charge of this, in part of this trust. And when his father died, it was instructed that it would go to him. And, uh, and so as this estate is well managed, he receives a 1% fee every year. Uh, which is not small, not small, and not a small thing at all. But it's to say that that uh, that God owns it; He has He owns everything. Yes, and lets us share in that in that wealth. Um, and this land and these possessions can be bought, sold, inherited, um, everything. But we also see in in the law, in particular, that um, what is often demanded when property is taken from someone unjustly is that restitution has to be made. So there are even things in the law like, what happens if your ox gores another ox? What happens? Yeah, you have to pay for the ox, right? You have to basically buy it. <laughs> or you have to provide a, an equal or better ox to the, to the person who lost theirs. Right? Um, and this is, this is essential, uh, these kinds of property understandings. Um, in many ancient societies, though, it was the case that someone who was, who was higher up in the society, could, their, their ox could go or another ox, and they'd say, well, that's tough. You shouldn't have put your ox there. Um, but the law maintains all of this. It's something very important, something, uh, something sacred. The law also forbids unjust loans and interest. Um, and uh, indeed, the Christian tradition supports this. Uh, there, and, and indeed, even when... Uh, even when the Jewish people uh, in, in Western Europe had started to become the, the bankers and exacting loans that, that uh, Christians would not, uh, because Christians had rules against usury. Um, it was, you know, you cannot charge interest. Um, and today we have similar things going on in our city, don't we? Uh, we have uh, payday lenders where uh, sometimes, and it, you know, I used to live across the street from one, and one day uh, a sheet blew down my street. There was the disclosure on one of these payday loans. And the stated cumulative APR, the annual interest rate, was 682%. Because when you took into account all the monthly fees and all the origination fees and all of the interest, it compounded up to that on a yearly basis. Now, payday lending is, is, a, is a plague on our city, and it's a plague on our city because it assumes that people it assumes that the people that are taking out these loans cannot pay them back. And it operates on that assumption. Um, now, what does that do, in essence? It, it, creates, it creates an enslaved poor. Um, uh, the working poor in our city are enslaved to payday lenders. Um, an overwhelming amount of them. Um, and it means that they can't, they can't live the free life that God wants for them. Um, and, and it means that, um, and, and often these are predatory loans. It's not like they just say, well, wake up one, ben, one day and say, well, you know, I'd like to go out for a nice steak dinner. Let's go get a payday loan. It doesn't work that way. Um, so these are all things that are, in, that are included in the law uh, because what, is, what does God want for his people?
He wants them to be. He wants them to be a light to the nations. Um, he wants them to be a. You know, look to what Jesus says. He wants them to be a city on a hill. Um, and he, he wants them to be a people uh, that are that are different. Um, and so this is something that that comes up. And very often, and I think this is one of the things. One of the things that we often get completely wrong is we say, well, you know, people aren't defined by their possessions. Well, in a sense, that's true. Yes, but tell that to someone who doesn't have food in their pantry. I mean, tell that to someone whose truck won't get them to work in the morning. And, and, uh, and those are all things that, that, uh, that the people are to uh, remedy. Um, in fact, just yesterday I met a guy who, who's, uh, he had been hit at a red light. <laughs> so somebody ran a red light and hit him. And, uh, and his insurance company was going to uh, take 20% off his, uh, his settlement for negligent driving because he didn't look both ways before he went through an intersection that he had a green light. I mean, see, this is the kind of thing the law addresses, and very clearly. Uh, so these are all things that I think we can, we can take into account. What things other than property can you steal? I can steal reputation, wages, and honor, credit, answers, and inventions, friendship, hope, and goodwill from others. I must repay, and to the best of my ability, restore what I have stolen. You can steal someone's reputation. Um, it happens all the time. Uh, false accusations get made, and no matter what, for decades long, someone suffers from the weight of those false accusations. Uh, this happens more often than we like to even think about. Uh, for those of you connected to Baylor, this happens in academia all the time, doesn't it? It's, it's you know, you think you're gonna be big and strong and stand up to somebody in, in the academy, and you've slighted them in a way that they don't deserve, and uh, in a way that, that uh, is false, and they'll never recover from it. Um, wages can be stolen. Um, I cannot tell you, I just heard recently of a, of a lawsuit that's being levied by nurses um, who are <laughs> being told, hey, you know, when you go have your, your hour lunch break for which you are not paid, be sure to bring your pager with you in case we need you. And they're saying, well, nine times out of 10, the pager rings and I have to leave lunch early and I don't get paid for that time that I'm there. So they're filing lawsuits for, um, for, for, for lost wages. And they're winning these things. And they should be winning these things because they're, they're being told you're gonna work for this amount of time and you're gonna get paid for it. Um, and they're getting, you know, basically, they're not being paid for time they're working when they're on their lunch break. And you might say, well, they need to get over it. Well, well you tell that to somebody who, who's working, you know, five days a week for you know, many, many, many hours and, and at the end of the day is struggling to feed their family. Tell them that. Um, we can also steal honor, can't we? Um, you know, sometimes people deserve credit for something and you take it um, and it doesn't belong to you. Um, we can steal credit. You know, credit theft is a big thing today, uh, but it goes beyond that. Um, it goes to the point where, uh, where uh, people are People are losing a lot um, because they, they, uh, their position in society as a trustworthy person is being taken from them unnecessarily. Um, and and it used to be that it used to be the credit was sort of a like it's like this uh, you 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 were seen as a trustworthy person by the by whoever was going to extend you credit and they extended it to you and you paid it back because you were a person of honor. And now there's some sort of computer system in the sky that calculates all this stuff 
and calculates it based on how, how, uh, how much you love debt, um, not based on how trustworthy of a person you are. Um, and it basically says, well, you're not, you're not trustworthy when in fact you are. Um, and, and for no other reason uh, than that um, you had some trouble paying off a few bills and you lost a job. And it wasn't that you were untrustworthy, it was that you had, you had a, hit a hard time. Um, so I think all these things have to be fixed in our culture. Now, I'm, I'm not proposing any answers, but there it is. Um, we can steal answers, yes. I mean, look, kids on tests, you know, last I heard something like 70 to 80% of high school students cheat on tests, and it's probably more now. Um, we can steal inventions. I mean, patent theft is a, is a major problem today, uh, and, and uh, corporations make, make, uh, make a sport out of stealing patents and stealing uh, other people's intellectual property, um, and they do it all the time. Um, but we can also steal friendship, and this is a, a, it's a terror when it happens, isn't it? To say, well, you can't trust her. You know, don't, you know, don't be his friend, because he's this, that, or the other thing. And, and we lose these friendships. Um, we can steal someone's hope. Um, it's a daily refrain in the daily office. That the, that the hope of the poor be not taken away. Remember? Um, why do we pray this? Because very often, um, we, we, because we, we want things now, uh, take hope from people. Um, you know, the, I should say, the payday lenders do this in, in spades. You know, they'll call you at work, they'll call you at home, they'll call you all hours of the night, and they'll call you when you're sleeping, they'll call you anytime they want. And they disrupt people's lives. Uh, they know they have to pay and they can't pay it. Um, we can also steal goodwill from others. Um, we can, uh, by, by abusing their sense of good, uh, can, can extract uh, um, more than we need from them. Um, you may have seen this many times in your life when, when there's just somebody who always seems to need something from you. And, and they and they're just and you're and and you just want to be good and you want to be kind and so but all of a sudden man they're running your life and and, and they they seem to be they seem to think that they're they're number one in your life and part of the problem is that um, we we have to be a people uh, who are obedient to the Lord and, and Him first and insofar as other people demand our attention and interfere in that freedom uh, they got to be put in their place. Which is to say that sometimes, sometimes our goodwill has to be centered to people and has to be given to people um, uh, based, on a, based on an act of our own free will and not out of an obligation. Um, now, obligation is important and sometimes it's the important thing, but, but sometimes it's, it's, just, it's just too much. And you have to say, listen, I love you, but I can't do the thing you're asking me to do. Um, and here's why. Um, I must repay. Um, now, sometimes repayment becomes impossible. Uh, sometimes, you know, for whatever reason, people, uh, things get lost and things get put out of the shuffle. Um, but, but, but repayment is, is a needed thing. So I often encourage people who've, who've maybe had a life of theft or who've experienced bankruptcy of some kind or who have uh, had debts written off books from companies that they didn't, that they didn't have, that they, that they just are so long and so old that they've just completely forgotten about them. Um, try to go back and repay it. Um, and one way to do this is to, is to call them up and say, 
Um, can, I, can I settle this debt? Um, and it can be an amazingly freeing thing because they'll say, yeah, we wrote that debt off long ago. You know, send us, send us 5% of it and we'll call it even. <laughs> and, and, and it can be a freeing thing because you've worked it out um, and you're no longer in this position of, of slavery. Um, as his steward, how does God require you to use your possessions? As I am able, I should earn my own living so that I may set aside offerings for worship, give alms to the poor, and care for my dependents. I should use all my possessions, gifts, and abilities to glorify God, better the state of the creation, and love my neighbor. Um, these are laid out in order, by, by intention, um, to set aside offerings for worship. Um, you know, that first check you write every month, or you know, the first bank draft out of your, or the first electronic transfer, should be uh, an offering for worship, an offering for the church. Um, not because we need your money so much, although we do. Uh, it's, it's because, um, it's because it reminds you that all of it belongs to God, and all of it is His. Um, to give alms to the poor, um, and to care for my dependents. Um, you know, one of the things that, that people often get into trouble with is that they, they take um, they take their own uh, success as more important than that of their family. Um, so they're more motivated by a success in their job or success in this uh, in whatever career they're following. Um, and they're more motivated by success in that than they are to provide for their kids. And they often wind up in a spot that, that's, that's just untenable. Um, the New Testament, in fact, tells us that, um, that uh, those who, who do not care for the affairs of their own family should be disqualified from church office. Why? Well, because one who doesn't care for his own family is, quote, unquote, worse than an unbeliever. I mean, and it's true. It's just true. Um, so keep that in mind. Um, I should use all my possessions, gifts, and abilities to glorify God, better the state of creation, and love my neighbors. Um, you know, when, when you come here on a, on a Sunday morning or when you get out of bed and, and pray those first prayers, um, it, is, it is not just the praying mind that God is after. Um, it's not just the, the, your praying faculties that he wants. It's your whole life to be an offering start to finish. Um, we do have a, a responsibility um, to better the state of creation, and often when we don't do this, it is, it is a violation of the, of the commandment because we've, we've taken creation as something which belongs to us and not to God. Um, and this, of course, can be very difficult because sometimes we think, well, but it's the government that's responsible for the environment, not me. <laughs> it's probably the EPA or somebody like that. Let them do it <laughs> or, or don't let them do it, as the case may be. Um, but instead, what we're talking about here is, um, is that uh, you know, if, you have, if you have land that belongs to you, care for it, right? Like, there's something very holy about mowing your lawn, uh, something really wonderful about having a garden and keeping it well-maintained and clipping your hedges and doing all those things. Uh, yard work is, is, is a wonderfully um, uh, faithful action. Um, and especially for people that have gotten so distanced from, from our agrarian past, to, to have that rekindled in certain ways is really important. Um, and of course, all the other things should be taken as for granted, you know, not, not dumping things where they don't belong and, 
and uh, things like that. Um, what is the minimum standard of giving for you as a Christian? A tithe, which is 10% of my income, is the minimum standard and goal of giving for the work of God, yet Jesus expects more than my minimum. I love that. I love, I love the way that that is phrased. Um, in the Anglican Church in North America, from day one, we have said emphatically that a tithe is the minimum standard of giving um, on our income uh, for, for, uh, for the work of the church and the mission of God. Um, and what's meant by that is 10%, just clearly 10% of, of your income, of your increase, so to speak. Um, so that means that if you have investments and you, uh, and you manage them, and uh, in a year you receive, you know, uh, an increase of a certain amount of money, um, sometimes people say, well, we're just going to take 10% of that increase and give it, and give it to the church. Um, instead of saying, well, we're going to take $60,000 so that we can live, and then we'll pay $6,000 to the church. They say, well, no, we've experienced increase this year. Um, I remember somebody, when I was first ordained, said, you know, we used to tithe on our, on our gross, so after-tax income. And we just changed last year to, to tithing on our net. Uh, so so they, there was a big change for them because they were two professionals working, working with dual incomes and probably making a lot of money. And for them, that was a big deal because it meant that uh, no longer were they tithing on 65% uh, uh, of their income, but they were tithing on 100% of their income. Um, and it made a big difference. Yeah. It's, it's a tough question, right? It's, it's an increase, right? So you can, uh, you, can, you can look at that on a yearly basis. The important thing is that you stick with it. You say, um, you know, when the increase comes, we give of it. Um, so for most people, that's a paycheck, right? It's regular, you can expect it, um, it happens. For some people, it's so sporadic, um, and it has to be kind of divided up as, as time goes on. And some people live on, in, live on investments, and, and there's another way to do that. Um, but I think the key is that it's, it's, a, it's a standard, and it's meant to be a standard, um, so that we don't try to say to ourselves, well, you know, 2% is good enough, or 3% is good enough. Uh, you know, here's the deal. God doesn't just demand 10%. He demands everything, <laughs> and, and kindly allows us to give 10% as a token of that. Um, and, and the truth is that um, right about 10% is an appropriate pain point for that. Um, most people will say, you know, 10 is 10 percent is just painful enough, uh, but it still means I get to eat and pay my mortgage and all the rest, and that's how that's just a workable deal. Um, if you're not currently tithing, the thing that I'll say to people is just, you know, work up to it. Have a plan in place to work up to that, um, and it might mean that you got to set certain things in order, and it might mean that you say, hey, you know, we're not tithing right now, but when we pay off the car. Um, we'll be able to give the full tithe, and it won't be a won't be a burden on our budget. And then we'll just have to figure out how to buy a used car next time with cash. You know, it's that kind of thing. Um, but it can it can it can mean a huge difference in your life. Um, uh, just just a huge difference. All right, should we move on to the ninth commandment? You already know everything there is to know about bearing false witness. So, what is the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment is, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. What does it mean not to bear false witness? It means that I am to love God and my neighbor by speaking truthfully and graciously at all times, and by keeping my tongue from lying, slander, or gossip. Um, we love God and we love our neighbor by speaking the truth. Um, and it's, 
it's all too often that our that our um, our our minds and our tongues get get veer a little bit off course from the truth. And what happens is that we become, in a sense, captive to a lie, um, even if it's just even if it's just a minor one. You say, well, you know. It, it's not that big a deal. It's not a huge. It's not a huge difference from the truth, and we persist in it, and we start to veer off course. Um, we often can attempt to love our neighbors uh, with with falsehoods on our on our on our lips, and it's it's very difficult to do, right? I mean, if you've ever had a friend that you feel like you have to lie to in order to have their affection, um, it's a really awful thing, isn't it? As you say, you know, hey, hey Ben, what do you think of my haircut? As he comes in with a mohawk. You think, uh, no, it's really cool, man. I like it, <laughs> and and it, it'll wear you down. It really will. Um, and the same is true with God. It's it's uh, to say um, that the truthfulness, and especially in prayer, uh, matters immensely. But we are to keep our to speak truthfully and graciously. So there are two parts to this. One is to tell the truth, the other is to speak graciously. And sometimes speaking graciously uh, means that, that we tell the truth, um, but we make certain um, that, that we're telling the truth not to injure or hurt or demean, but we're telling the truth um, as a gift to someone, um, as a way of loving them. Um, and often I'll tell my kids, you know, <laughs> yes, I know that she can be annoying, but for you to tell her that <laughs> is not gracious. <laughs> um, um, and, and we're trying to work with our kids to say, well, is there another way that we can say that? Is there another way that we can uh, bring that to them? And by keeping my tongue from lying, slander, or gossip. And those three are all included in the, in the ninth commandment. Um, lying, of course, is very straightforward. It's telling things that are not the truth as truth. Slander is uh, to demean someone publicly uh, for, for whatever reason. And gossip is simply to, pass, to trade in, uh, in, uh, in news that we cannot verify ourselves. Um, indeed, that um, it may even be the truth, and we know it to be the truth, but it's not worth saying. So don't say, we have to stay away from saying it. Um, very often, things get passed around as if they're the truth, and they're not the truth. Um, and it can be very damaging to someone. Um, how did Jesus suffer from false witnesses? The Sanhedrin, desiring Jesus' execution, hired witnesses to lie about it. We were told this right in the, right in the text of Scripture that the Sanhedrin um, hired uh, and paid uh, witnesses to, to, uh, to say all manner of things against him. Um, and then later, you know, paid off Roman soldiers, right? I mean, part of this is that um, the, the lies we tell often only have a, a temporary benefit, don't they? It's, you know, I'm sitting there, and I, I, I know this more and more as I try to teach my kids to not lie. Uh, you know, the momentary benefit is that if they lie about whether they've already had a banana or not, they can have another banana. No big deal, right? Bananas are cheap, and we have them in abundance, and, you know, but it's, it's to say, okay, well, think about the long-term consequences of this thing you're telling me, which isn't true. <laughs> What's it going to mean? Well, it's going to mean you're not trustworthy. It's going to mean that I don't trust you with certain things. It's going to mean that all these things go, go awry. Um, so uh, we, we, often, we often are given over to untruth when we, uh, when we see a very, very, very passing benefit. 
um, and we have to see the long haul. Um, how does Jesus bear true witness? Jesus always speaks the truth about himself and me and bears witness before God and Satan that I belong to him. Um, Satan is the father of lies. Um, and today we're in fact going to read the story of the fall. And it's just replete. I'm not going to focus on it in preaching, but it's replete with Satan just lying. You know, Oh, you won't die, he says. You'll be like God. Um, just lie after lie after lie. Um, but Jesus tells the truth, and he tells the truth about himself, uh, and this is something that uh, is, is always baffling to me, is how people will say, say things, the stupidest things I've ever heard people say are things like, well, Jesus never claimed to be God, and I just want to say, read the Bible again, <laughs> read the Gospels again, read them again and again and again and again and again until you get it, but that's just not true, um, and, and for people to fabricate this sort of knowledge or it's just wrong um, and it happens you know it happens all year long you know you see the life magazine with Jesus on the cover or National Geographic with Jesus on the cover or people magazine with Jesus on the cover or us weekly with Jesus on, eventually they'll get there um, and, and it happens over and over again but Jesus tells the truth and he tells the truth about himself and he also tells the truth about me um, one of the things that that the catechism says clearly to us is that in the creed, you know, when we recite the creed on, on Sunday mornings, we're not, just, um, we're not just telling the truth about God, are we? Well, certainly we are. We're telling the truth about God. But we're also telling the truth about ourselves. Um, and this is an immensely important thing. And what I would say is that many, many modern Christians um, have, have said, you know what, it's not so important to maintain that truth. Um, it's far more important to be truthful personally, as I see it. And yet, Christians are not so concerned about that, are we? We're concerned about what God says about us, and we're concerned with what Jesus says about himself. When we lose that, when we lose a, a, a desire to know uh, the content of divine revelation, um, we become a people who are steered by our own um, sense of importance, and it's false, it's just false. Um, and, and so uh, I should say, you know, that's, that's probably really the start of, of someone who, who has really turned to Christian orthodoxy um, or someone who's turned to um, what is Catholic, um, is that they, they've essentially said, you know, I, I can't figure it out on my own. Um, I don't have the time. I don't have the wherewithal. Uh, I'm by and large uh, persuaded by lies. And, and, and I'm just, I'm, I'm a fallen human being who can't see the truth properly. Um, so I need, I, need to be, I need to be witnessed to um, by, by the living faith. And uh, I'll never forget, you know, uh, when, I was, when I was quite young, I was in high school, um, I, I was quite intent on figuring it all out. You know, I really wanted to figure out what, what should Christians believe. And at some point, I was just overwhelmed, and I, and I was just like, I can't, I can't figure this out. I mean, I just, there's no way. There's too much there, and I can't weigh all the, all the positions against each other. And I just realized, like, the freedom of saying, it's not for me to figure out. Um, it's for me to submit in obedience to the faith. Um, and, and this really is a, a great beginning. Um, so I encourage you to that. How is false witness born? In, well, I, one more thing. <laughs> Uh, I do want to say that um, 
to, to say that something is real Christianity when you know very well it's not is the height of false, of false witness. Um, to, to push a counterfeit out and say, this is what Christians believe, when you know full well it's not, is, is false witness. And it, and it actually starts to become idolatry. Um, and it becomes idolatry very quickly. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. My theology, your theology, his theology. I don't know. Well, what I will always say is that there, there are things that Christians can actually disagree about. I mean, that's just the truth. We know that there are things that Christians can disagree about. Fine, but when it comes when it comes to the to the essentials, you know, when it comes to the creeds, when it comes to the authority of Scripture, uh, when it comes to things like the doctrine of the Trinity, when it comes to all manner of things. You know, the truth of the matter is we can't disagree about those things. We just can't. Um, and so I would say as well that, um, and, and I'm, I hope I'm not hitting too close to home, but for a Christian university to hold itself out as Christian and yet espouse virtues that are not Christian at all, or virtues that are not Christian, or actions that are not Christian, or whatever it may be, is, is a violation of the commandment. Because you know it's not true, and yet you persist in it. Um, and there has to be, um, there has to be truth telling. Um, so, and part of me would say, you're either going to, you're either going to use the, you're either going to say we're a Christian university and be it publicly and interiorly, or you're not. Um, same thing goes with Christian hospitals, right? Um, this was something that has been going on. And when I lived in California, it was an ongoing thing. It was Catholic hospitals wanting to offer abortions. And, and you know what they finally did? They just said, you don't get to use that word anymore and they turned them into something else. Uh, but even, but that made it worse, right? Because here you have uh, hospitals uh, going around, and I forget what they wound up calling them, something like dignity or something like that. It was absolutely ridiculous. But they called themselves this, and all the while they're Catholic healthcare, you know? And, they're, and they just changed the name so they didn't have to have that name associated with abortion. Um, this, this, is, this is the height of false witness. How is false witness born in court? Going on too long. Jesus, oh, false accusations, lies, withholding evidence, or an unjust verdict all violate truth and justice. Um, and this is this is an ongoing problem. Um, and it's it's made even worse by the fact that um, our our memories betray us a lot. Um, they they constantly betray us. Um, and yet, there are certain things that we just cannot put out of our minds. And, um, and I would just say to, say to you, if you ever have to uh, bear witness in court, um, you know, be sure that what you're, what you're testifying to is corroborated by other sources. Or say, I'm not certain. It's not hard to say. It's, it's I'm not certain. Um, and, uh, and, it's, and it's something that I think uh, we can all do. Uh, because sometimes, sometimes people do go to prison for the sole reason that one person said, I'm absolutely certain it was him. And then they find out later it wasn't true. Um, so we have, to, we have to be very much um, a people who say, when we're not 100% certain, I'm not certain. 
um, and say it clearly, no matter how much it costs us, because there can be a great deal of pressure, you know? Uh, it's like, well, this is a bad guy, and your testimony could send him to prison for life, and wouldn't that be great? And you have to say, I'm just not sure. Um, when is it right to speak of your neighbor's sins? I am forbidden to gossip or slander, but I must speak the truth in love to my neighbor, report crimes, advocate for the helpless, and protect the community. Um, you know, gossip and slander can ruin someone's life. But in the same way, um, speaking the truth in love to your neighbor is, is something which is required of us. Um, and it's required because sometimes people, people wind up in a world of hurt for no other reason than that somebody did not tell the truth to them. And instead said, well, I want us to be friends, so I'm not going to tell you the truth. Um, the truth can make an utter difference in someone's life. Um, we do have a duty as well to report crimes. Um, I think this is something that, that, uh, that um, is a little, uh, can get a bit buried because we say, well, you know, if I saw a murder go down, well, I'd absolutely report it. But if I see cheating on my taxes in, in my business by somebody else, I say, well, you know, maybe, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure what I saw. Um, it's, it's absolutely essential that we be a people who report crimes. Uh, advocate for the helpless. How is this telling the truth? Well, sometimes there are people who have no, they have no advocacy, right? They have no advocate in, in the law. They have no, no, no advocate for the truth. And they have no one to tell the truth for them but you. Um, and so advocating for those who have no help is, is very important. Um, um, we've recently had a couple at our church who, who found themselves in a terrible situation and had no advocate. And as soon as they had, had an advocate in the form of a lawyer, everything changed for them. I mean, from, from their attitude to, their just, to, to just seeing them smile because they had an advocate who was willing to go to bat for them to tell the truth who knew how to do it. Um, and lastly, to protect the community. Um, our communities are, uh, are uh, very often um, endangered um, because we, we have, at times, an obsession with lying about what goes on in our community, right? We say, well, uh, oh yeah, we know this happened, but it's not that bad. And it is, it's bad. Um, you know, uh, we, we have an obsession with this. Um, you know, who would have thought that, um, that a restaurant in our city would be found out for having, having slaves working in the kitchen? And yet it did, it happened. And one of the most baffling things about the news reports is to read and say, well, how many people knew about it and didn't report it? It was a lot. A lot of people knew this was going on and they didn't do anything about it. Um, a lot of people know that we have certain places in town that are, uh, that are filled with people who've been trafficked and nobody says anything about it. Nobody does anything about it. Um, and, uh, and it's something that we have, to, we have to step out in faith and tell the truth. Um, and and the thing that I'd say lastly is that um, telling the truth will often cause us great suffering, right? It'll cause us to lose friendship, it'll cause us to, to, to hurt people that, um, that we didn't mean to hurt, and, uh, but it is, it is absolutely and utterly worthwhile. So um, I'll leave you there. Uh, Father Jonathan's going to finish up with the Tenth Commandment and round out the end of the Catechism, and then uh, a week from today, or two weeks from today, Father Nicholas is going to lead everybody through, through the liturgy in a kind of uh, how we worship session. So I think you'll find that profitable. Thank you.